a good word for you this morning, and I'm excited to be here with you. Um, if you've been reading the EB or you had a sense of what we're talking, I'm just going to ask for your permission right now to treat the audience as hostile to the idea, because I want to talk to you about something that is not natural for us to do. There are several words that we might find um, offensive in the English language, but perhaps for you, none is going to be as irritating or irksome as the direction to submit, right? As I sought to title today's message, I imagined how a typical audience would respond and, and bristle subconsciously at this thought, at this notion. In your life, submission and joy may have seemed to walk along two separate paths that have never really intersected. And your experience with submission has provided only memories that are bad and sometimes adding fresh wounds over old scars. So for you, submission has been humiliating and in the worst cases, harmful. Which raises the question, why, why would I want to bring this to you today? Why would I want to talk to you about something that might already get your back up? Well, uh, you might remember that uh, some time ago when I started preaching here at Harvest, I decided I wanted to work through First Peter, and I've been trying to bring that faithfully to you. So this is the next section. It's a long section that begins on submission and goes from submission even to suffering. So that's where I am in this section now, so I'm being faithful to that. But also, uh, the Act Like Men guys, the, the, there's a group of us that have picked books that are about five chapters long, and we've been studying those this summer, and I'm also reading it that way. So this is for what the Lord wants to say in me, but this is something I want to bring before you. And I don't want to avoid God's word just because it makes me uncomfortable, and I'm sure you don't want me to do that either. So we're going to do that. But I will confess that in this one word, we've potentially wrapped up a lot of negativity. So do you feel like you're not ready to hear the submission? Does it feel a little bit like, you know, that moment where someone's going to tell you that this is not going to be good for you, and, but you got to do it anyways? That, that's that feeling that comes there with, with the idea of submission. But this idea conveyed by these letters on the screen, S-U-B-M-I-T, uh, they're given to us by God for our good. And to help us get the good out of God's word, I wanted to start with a definition for you. So let's define uh, submission as the attitude or actions of willingly yielding to and obeying the authority that has been given to another to please the Lord. We were talking in the office about this and someone from our soul care team was saying, you know, we got to make sure people know what you're talking about right off the bat so they're not thinking it's something else and, and not listening to you. So the key there is, you know, it's, it's the attitude and actions, but it's, they're done in order to please the Lord, not to humiliate yourself, not to make yourself feel small, not to exalt the person that you're submitting to, but it's for the Lord. So that's a definition we can start with, but our definitions won't change our hearts. So we're going to look to this section of Peter's letter to help us think strategically about how we live out our faith in relationship to the people in charge. And his words, God's words, through Peter, can bring life to us in this situation. Submission is not just a display of humility. In God's plan, your submission your tactical, is tactical, calculated, and a thoughtful approach for engaging authority to advance Jesus' goals. So as we begin today, you might have a wall up, but I'm asking you to open up a little window in that wall so I can pass through this biblical idea. Submission is more spiritually effective than you think it is. It has more influential potential than you give it credit for. God has placed power in submission. So we're going to talk about why God has done this. What does the strategy of submission accomplish and how does it bring glory to God through Jesus? 
Peter is going to help us see this as we look together at these verses in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to look into this together, and we'll be referring to this as we go through this morning. Father, I just stop and acknowledge your presence here and acknowledge that you speak to us through your word, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit this morning you would help us to hear a word that might be for some of us really difficult to understand how that would be your will for us. Lord, um, we live in a time when we don't necessarily like everything our government would do, and yet we read this and, and understand that you want us to submit in response to their lead. So, Lord, help us with that. Help us to trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you have it in your Bibles there. Let's go to Second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. So the instruction in this passage is, is for the church in general, so all of us together, but we want to apply it individually so we know what we need to do. So we're going to say the points like this. When I submit, so when I submit, I declare God is the ultimate authority over everyone, and I'm pulling that right from verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. How many in human institutions? Every, all of them, right? So... The Lord is, is the one over all of them. So if you're a new believer or you haven't been, you've, you're new to this idea and you've come to the Lord and you realize the Lord is, is Lord over all, you might ask yourself this question. So if I'm now serving the Lord, why would I ever want to put myself in a place of submission again to someone who's not on track with the things that, are, that the Lord wants us to do? Why would I listen to someone who doesn't believe that Jesus is Lord as I do? And Peter's answer to your question is, it's for the Lord's sake. And actually, he doesn't say sake in his, in his rationale. That, that word sake that we read in English, that's, that's an idea that we put forward to help us understand better. But in, in the original language, you said you're doing it for the Lord. We might think the emphasis is on how it makes Jesus feel if we obey. But Peter's emphasis was on who Jesus was. We submit because we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Submit to them because of Jesus. So when we say submit according to the Lord's sake, we're not trying to say that somehow your submission improves Jesus as your Savior. It doesn't make him better when you submit. Rather, we're saying that when we're in a personal relationship with Jesus, it redefines everything for us, including our relationship with authority figures. So another way of saying that is Jesus' presence in your personal life will predetermine your public behavior. When you, you live privately and publicly to advance his kingdom. So you may, you may agree with that. Do you agree with that? Right? But that doesn't mean you nod your head yes, but that doesn't mean that you're ready to follow the game plan of submission just wholeheartedly. I understand that. But it, it's going to be helpful for us to know what Peter is thinking and that cooperation with authority is consistent with the commitment to Christ's supernatural rule over everyone and everything. Jesus is in charge of all that has ever been made, including every human institution conceived. That's what we believe. That's what we read. That's what we, we come to understand through Scripture. And Colossians 1, 16 to 18 is so clear about it. 
that we can read it now, and it'll just remind us of these things. I'd love for us to read it together. So let's do that. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the church, the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So this one verse establishes for us the case that Jesus Christ has been given authority by God over every institution there is. So from your parents to the police, students from your principal to the prime minister, Jesus is above them all. His authority is given by the Father, and Jesus uses that authority to direct the church to submit. The church is his embassy in the world. Earlier in Peter, we read that we are a nation of priests. We are his royal priesthood. We, that's what we represent, but our policy is that embassy is that we cooperate with the local authorities to the best of our ability. Rebellion will not bring about his purposes, and isolating ourselves from the culture will not bring his message message to the masses. But submission declares that we believe that Jesus is in charge of everyone on the planet. So I'm acting as a lawyer for this concept that you're resisting. I naturally resist the idea of submit. You know, when I came to this church and I found out Dan was my boss, I didn't go, I'm going to submit to Dan easily. I try to. <laughs> he tries to help me. Right? But it's not, it's not something we do. So I'm, I'm working maybe a little bit against you as you bristle to this, but um, you know, these are the things that are true. So you still may need another angle on this idea, and Peter has it for us. So here it comes. When I submit, I acknowledge the wisdom inherent in structured authority. Let's go back to the text in verse 13 and 14 now. Be subject to the Lord for, every, to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, it doesn't sound fun, and to praise those who do good. That sounds better, right? So when I submit, I acknowledge the wisdom inherent in this kind of structured authority. If we look back at when these words were being circulated as a letter, we, we find out that many people will tell us that it was probably the Roman emperor Nero who was in charge. But Peter isn't writing to say you need to submit to Nero specifically. It's not a command to submit to a person. It's a command to submit to a particular office. So he uses the terms of king and governors. So the king was the one who had the highest authority, and the governors were the ones that had the delegated authority. And Peter lived under a dictatorship where authority was centralized in the emperor. And that emperor, empire was the government for about 500 years, from about 27 years before Jesus Christ was born to about 476 years after. This was the way things were. This was the government authority structure. And if you like any history at all, or you watch any movies that depict things from that time, you, you know that there's been much recorded about the kind of violence and decadence and indulgence of the Romans. You need to understand that this was no type of moral incubator for the young church to be raised in. And yet, um, this is where God put it. In the empire, the government was organized around the absolute authority of a man who had no fear of God. So why would Peter counsel the church to submit to a system of authority like this? It sounds 
like it's going to be a difficult thing? Well, the answer is this. Systems of vindication and punishment maintain a social order over all people so that the world isn't incredibly wild and rebellious all the time. I want you to go back to the time when you were in school and you had a regular teacher who kept your class in line and then you had a substitute teacher. And you're laughing because you remember on those days when a substitute teacher would come in, sometimes they weren't quite as comfortable or skilled at keeping the class together and things would get unruly and wild. And I remember at our school growing up, we had, we had a large school, 800 uh, students, 90 in grade eight. And one of the classes was always bad. Um, and the teacher, the teacher left and it got worse and they were horrible and they got in trouble and she came back and they were still worse. I remember her, her leaving the classroom crying because people were unruly and unstructured and it was, it was chaos. And if you know that moment, you kind of just agree that there's wisdom in having an authority structure. So slow or broken as these structures may be, we are privileged to have them. We're privileged to have a system of justice and define laws. The system would not work without an authority structure of people to hold society accountable. We know this. We, we, we need to think about these things so we have some reason to give ourselves over in submission. Wisdom helps us conclude that, ju when just, that justice will go out the window when authority structures are abandoned. We can remember in Judges, in verse 17, 6, that in the days when there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was, if you know the phrase, right in their own eyes. And what that means is, by inference, no one was being held accountable for the wrong things they did. No one was being arrested in a just way. No one was punished appropriately, and no one's rights were upheld, even if they were doing the right things. That's the kind of situation that we would call injustice, and it's intolerable. It's intolerable even for little kids when they see one kid being favored when they've done wrong and another kid being punished when they've done right. It's injustice. No one likes that. You don't have to be a Christian to, to, to favor justice. Injustice is an intolerable social condition that only fools would openly welcome, and it thrives when there's no control system in place. <clears throat> and Paul, another great writer of the New Testament, backs Peter up when he writes something we, I think we've read recently here, Romans 13, 1 to 3. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. So I say we have a strategy of submission, and we submit in ways that show we agree that authority makes sense, and it's a gift from God for the common good. This is the case that I want to lay out. These are, these are the theologies behind our behavior, and it shows up in the way we live, and I'm so thankful that Pastor Todd recently led us through and helped us to think about what our obedience means, but to remind us you know, this is why we as Christians, we do things like we pay our taxes. And I'm sure you all do, but this one we may not all do. We pay our parking tickets and our speeding fines. You know, we, we do these things. I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I paid a fine once for, for riding my mountain bike in the wrong place. I, I did this, Dave. I took my mountain bike. I, was, I wanted to go to the bank. I, where I lived growing up, the bank was about five kilometers away, and I wanted to ride my mountain bike through the nice wooded area, and I knew that it was closed to bikes, but I didn't really care. Um, so I took my bike past the wooden gates into the trail and was riding it, 
having a great time like I normally did. Well, on this one day, it was a little different because as I was riding, I, I noticed these two people walking ahead of me and they, they didn't look like they were out just enjoying the trail. They didn't look like they were normal people. They actually looked like they were wearing some type of uniform. And as I got closer, I realized they were like park officials. They weren't on bikes, they were just walking, right? But these were authorities that I was coming up, coming up to on my bike and I know I'm in the wrong. And I thought, oh, this is gonna be so weird. I gotta pass by them. And I thought about a lot of ways that I could avoid it, but you know, I decided I, I, have, to, I have to find out what's going on. So uh, I'm like, am I, about, am I about to get in trouble? So they, they kind of pulled me over. I guess that was kind of an arrest, um, right? And they said, you can't ride your bike here. And I said, really, you know, I guess not, I, you know, right? So, so, so what's gonna happen now? I said, well, sir, you're gonna have to pay a fine. Right? I was on my way to the bank to get some money out. They asked me to pay $80, right? And I said, I will, <laughs> okay? Because they were the authorities, right? So then we also had this interesting problem because they're on foot, I've brought my bike and I'm kilometers away from home and I've gotta go kilometers back. I said, so now what? Like, do I get to ride out? They said, no, you can't ride your bike out. I said, really? You know, like, what will you do, right? I said, well, <laughs> We can't really do anything. A lot of people never listen to us, so a lot of people just ride off, right? I'm like, well, I'm not gonna do that. So I walked my bike out of the woods, right? <clears throat> I did that, I chose to do that. I chose to show these guys submission. You know, you never know if someone like that's gonna be in your church watching you do a sermon and go like, that's the guy that didn't listen to us. <laughs> right? <clears throat> but we do things like that as the church, we submit. So uh, we, we do that. We, we, we tell our kids to wear bike helmets because we, the government tells us to wear bike helmets, right? We take out insurance for our vehicles. We apply for passports and licenses. You should have seen all the paperwork we had to fill out to get Kaya across the border legally so that Jordan didn't get arrested for abducting our children. <laughs> we cooperate with the police against crime. We vote when we're asked about our choice for government. We'll show up for ju jury duty when summoned. And right now, we'll only water our lawns on the days that we're prescribed. Right? Right. So I just wanted to cover theology as, uh, the theology of why we submit. So if your walls went up at the start, some of this still might need to think in with a little bit, sink in with a little bit more time. You know, you might not be ready to do that. You said, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to wrestle with that. I, I, yeah, I agree that God's good, but I'm not sure I need to submit to every authority out there. I agree that justice is, is good, but I'm still not sure. But you might have been looking for something a little bit more immediately practical, and Peter has that for us too. So something that's immediately applicable is this. When I submit, I silence the critics of believers' public conduct. This is what submission can do. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You guys are gonna have this almost memorized by the time we're done. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to, there's the word, should silence the ignorance of foolish people. I don't like being criticized. I do think it's foolish if someone tries to bring a charge against me if they're in the wrong and I'm in the right. And so these, these words I gravitated towards, I would like to know how to silence foolish people, wouldn't you? It, it, it would be great to have that as a skill, and, and we have that right here. So the application is when I submit, I silence the critics of, of believers' public conduct. Here's the point. Our, our good conduct out there in the world, as the church, as a believer, should force public leaders to respect what happens in here inside the church, and also in here, in my heart as a Christian. 
when Christians are generally cooperative, practically helpful, respectful of authority, and deliver real blessing to the community, anti-church lobbyists look like fools when they bring an accusation that Christianity is a problem for society. If you want to stick it to the critics, then, you should cooperate with those around you to advance what is good for your school and your neighborhood and your city and your country and your workplace, and you should worship God wholeheartedly. Not just be a good citizen, but be a good citizen who worships the, God, the, the Lord openly. That way, if people find fault with your devotion to God, they'll never be able to bring a legal or moral basis to prevent you from expressing your devotion to him. I like the way that sounds. It gives a point to, to my submission. It, it makes it so that when I, when I um, listen to those, those guys in the woods, there's something going on beyond, instead of just me being weak. I'm actually doing something that's powerful. I'm building a case uh, to help them understand that I come under a different rule and, and that's something they should pay attention to. And that, that resonates with me. But I, I wanted a way to try to make sure this resonated with you. And I've been asking the Lord all week and, and asking him last night to, to show this to us in a way that we could remember and, and, and grasp and take out of this place. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the team because I had written one thing in my document here but as I was sleeping and, and confirming things, I thought, no, the Lord, is, the Lord has preserved for us a story to encourage us about our, our obedience, having this way of silencing critics. And uh, we've got a, a situation recorded in, in history in the Bible where a believer, his name, I never looked it up, so I could still be wrong. I think it was Belteshazzar, but we know him as Daniel, was accused of disrespecting his king, Darius. And this accusation carried the death sentence. It was a capital offense. Um, Daniel had a high-ranking position in the, in the king's administration. He was like number three over an area of control. And the king, it says to us in, in Daniel chapter six, that the king had in his mind to promote Daniel to the number one position in that, in that whole administration. He was going to take charge because he had found such good favor and was on such good terms with the king. He was going to get a promotion and be in charge of the whole thing. So um, it turns out that some people didn't, didn't like Daniel very much, and they, they came up with a scheme, and they charged him with a crime. And this, the crime they charged him with, they came up with a law, they put it in place, and they made it illegal for, for, for believers in God to pray to anybody else other than the king, to ask for any type of help, and then, then to this king Darius. And Daniel was charged with that because he said, well, I can't stop praying. I'm going to continue praying. I'm not doing anything wrong but I'm going to continue to pray. And so Daniel's only crime was refusing to give up his prayer life, but they made that seem like he was acting seditiously to bring down the kingdom. And so due to a technicality in their weird laws where once they put something in play, it couldn't be reversed. Daniel was sentenced. He was, this charge was brought to the king and he was sentenced to execution by lions. It's, it's a little bit ancient. It's not what we do today. But that's what we read in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. Some people remember that from early Sunday school days. It's a story we, we know about. Color the books, you know, put the orange on the lion's mane, and Daniel's sitting there with the lions. And it's really fierce, right? Because at this moment in, in history, what's happening is Daniel's about to be shredded by lions for praying to God. After a critic who didn't like him being advanced is like, I'm going to get that guy. I'm going I'm to bring a charge against him, and we're going to find a way to make it stick, and he's going to die. 
and I'll be able to get his position. We'll be able to have other people advance. It's a criticism, and it's a problem, and it's a moment in this story where we get this amazing turn of events. So Daniel goes into the den with no escape. They roll a stone in front of it, and they lock it up, and, and it's got the and said, this can't be reversed. This man must die for his prayer. And he should have died, but God spared his life. The king goes away and he's concerned about what's going to happen and he has a sleepless night and he's wondering about these kind of things and he comes back and he wants to see what happened to Daniel who's been praying and who's been wronged but still has to face death and he, he comes back and calls out, Daniel, what has happened to you? What has happened to you? And to everybody's surprise, Daniel's like, I'm okay, man. Me and Leo are doing fine. <laughs> right? He says, I want to take you there if you can. So uh, stay in, mark Peter somehow and, and go over to D Daniel chapter 6. Because I want you to hear Daniel's submission, but also God's vindication of Daniel for what he did. Because this is what God has preserved for us. And, and there are other stories of how God is doing this today. I, I read two off the news this morning. Um, places where the Supreme Court in Canada and the Supreme Court in, in the U.S. have overturned rules where the church was accused of doing something wrong. The Supreme Court, by the time it got there, they said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with what they did, and they overturned it. So this still happens. But this is the one that God wants us to see for all time. So in Daniel chapter 6, verse 21, Daniel speaking after he's been sentenced. Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. There's the submission. O king, live forever. He's respecting that office. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. It says, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. That's amazing. You know, we heard about it before. It seems a little bit like a movie, but this is real life that's being passed on to us. It's a miracle. And it's happening on the political stage right in front of the king. And this is the best part for me because it shows a little vindication. And then the king turns to the people that accused him and he says to them, get those guys and put them in the, in the lion's den. They and their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. I, get, I know it gets gruesome there, right? And, and it's a violent time and, and a thing, but what we can kind of relate to for those of us that have ever had a critic's plan against us, work, even though we haven't done the right thing, is that with God's help, that was reversed. And when, when God showed us to be in the right and that person to be in the wrong, the punishment fell on them or the judgment or the justice fell to them. And with this, we have this encouragement from all time in this amazing, miraculous way that God is on our side. Right? And because he's on our side, when we do the right thing and they bring an accusation against us, when they, when they lie to accuse us, when they say something against us, it's not going to work. So in this situation, in Daniel's situation, the king was so moved by the truth of God's vindication of his behavior, he had the men who charged him wrongly executed. That's silencing a critic. They can't say anything now. That encourages me. Not the violence part, but the turn of events. God's plan is to teach the world righteousness through the activity of his church. And he's not going to abandon this plan. In Psalm 37, verses 5 to 6, just mark them down so you can read this for yourself later. But I'll read it to you now. We're encouraged this way. 
in the world. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He is going to bring forth your righteousness when someone's accusing you of doing the wrong thing incorrectly. He's going to bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. Some point in my life I'd, I'd memorize that as bringing forth your righteousness like the noonday sun. And if you've ever been outside in Barrie on a day when the sky is blue and the sun is blazing, you're like, wow, it's sunny. And everybody in the whole world knows that. That's what it means, that your righteousness to, is to become obvious to all. That's God's plan for the church, that your righteousness would become obvious to all. And when it becomes obvious to all, the sins that people use to try to get you in trouble become obvious too. And then they have to be quiet. So I'm sure you would love to be able to use your submission to shut a critic up sometime. And I hope that would encourage you to do that. But that's not the only reason. We still have a couple more for, for why God wants us to, to, to submit. So two more handles on this for you. Next one being, when I submit, I put my civil freedom to good use. When I submit, I put my civil freedom to good use. Pulling that from our next verse in Peter. So let's go back. Back into the good word of our Lord. For it's the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Picking up at verse 16. Live as people who are free then, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So when this letter went out, these were letters, they weren't in books before they were a book, it was letters written and, and circulated and distributed and read in, in, in synagogues and churches and homes and places where they gathered. But the people that heard them, the men and the women and the children, they weren't, they weren't slaves in the Roman Empire. They were, they were free citizens. They had rights and privileges and were able to pursue their own purposes so long as they weren't seeking to overthrow the emperor. Historically, we know that at different times, the Roman Empire persecuted Christians, but when this was written at this moment in time, we weren't, this was not the plan of the regime. So as citizens of the empire, they had access to all the offerings of the Roman Empire, all the decadence, all the opulence, all the sexual immorality, all the violence. They could pursue that. We know this is true because we can read about it in Scripture, an accurate history book for us. And it tells, talks to us often about the kind of lifestyle people had because when it talks to, talks to us about the conversion, about coming to Christ, it says, leave behind these things and pick up these things. And when we go back to see the kind of things that were left behind, we get the list of what was available to them in the culture. That's what we read when we read these lists of this is wrong and this is not good. We're reading, to, we're reading about what people were able to do with their freedom. There was, there was no government consequences for these things. So they could go after a variety of sexual practices. They, they knew about various ways of becoming intoxicated or high. They could use violence to take revenge. They could make shady business deals and profit from quick money schemes without necessarily getting in trouble for that. They, they knew about all the culturally, culturally acceptable yet crass ways of communicating their thoughts and feelings. They could find the, 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 the bluest streak of words to say what they wanted to say, and there's no problems for that. They, they had that available to them in their freedom. But you should know by now, if you've been listening to the preaching in this church, if you've been reading this word, if you've been led by the Holy Spirit, that God leads you away from using your freedom as an excuse for doing what is sinful. 
In 1 Corinthians 10.23, we find an important principle. You'll see it on the screen in a moment, but I want to read it to you this way. It'll, it'll kind of sync up with words, but here's what it means. It says this idea. I can do, as a free citizen in Canada, I can do anything I want with my life, but not everything I do is going to be helpful to others. I can do whatever I want to do with my life, but not everything I can do encourages people to trust more in Jesus. So if that's true, let's do a quick spot check on our lives right now. Let's, let's see how we've been using our freedoms as Canadian citizens with a few questions. So we know that in the last little while, Canadian laws have changed such that as free citizens, we are now able to enjoy a much wider variety of sexual pleasure than we, when we once did by law, right? I won't get into it, but you know that, right? And, and not, just, not just personally, but we can invest in it, we can, we can profit from it, we can sell it, we can buy it, right? We can do that. We're, we are free to do that. There are some ways that the government allows that to happen. Right? So when you think about the freedom you had between Sunday and Sunday, what did you use your freedom to do? Which, which way did that go with you this week? Also, um, we know that our government has opened up the rules on the use of drugs and alcohol, telling us you can do these things. You, you're welcome to drink if you're above a certain age, and you're welcome to, to use the little green plant to just relax if you want to. That's fine. You can carry so much of it without being in trouble. Go ahead. You're welcome. We're not coming after you for these things. Some of us use it ourselves, right? And so you're free. You are free as a Canadian citizen to do that. You're free to enjoy that. So again, between Sunday and Sunday, what did you use your freedom to do? In our culture, violence has found a lucrative place in our visual entertainment products. You can buy tickets to watch fights. You can stream a movie to your, to your TV that's grossly and violent. And you can marvel at how it looks and, and, and be excited by the bangs and the pows and the, and the fighting and all that kind of stuff. And you're totally free to do that. There's, there's no, nothing wrong with you watching violence or enjoying it or, 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 or rallying for it or anything like that. So do you use your freedom to pursue that? And our free speech allows us to mouth off without facing penalties. We can say almost anything we want to, whoever we want, wherever we want. I parked my car at a grocery store at 11 p.m. one night after a group, youth group, and um, because it was late, I kind of parked near the door. Another guy used his freedom. He was taking his mother to the grocery store. He wanted to walk where I parked. Because I was there, he told me to F off. I said that, right? I was like, he's there with his mom, taking her to the grocery store. We have our first public exchange. I've never met the man. That's his first greeting to me. I was like, where are the police? Right? That's not how we talk. That's not polite. We don't teach our children to do that, but that's him. I'm out with my mom. I don't like where that guy's parking. I'm going to tell him this. I thought that was so strange, but that's where we are. We have freedom to do that. No one's going to stop him from talking like that to you. No one's going to stop you from doing, talking like that to other people. But what did you use your freedom to do with your mouth this week? So listen, don't waste your freedom on figuring out how to please yourself sinfully. We have been freed from sin to live dedicated to God. Therefore, there are just some things we can't engage in even if the authorities try to persuade us that it's right to do it. 
So let me just take another aside here so I can better explain and be clear about what is, is expected and not expected under the word submission. These will be on the screen. Submission does not ever excuse my responsibility to serve Jesus Christ as Lord. There's nobody in our government system that can tell you, you should do this. And for Jesus to say, okay, you know, because, because they asked you to do it, it's fine, I get it. You're sinning because they had to do it and I told you to submit. That's not the plan. I can't submit when the activity requested is actually sinful. Submission does not ever require me to redefine sinful behavior toward me or others as okay. I can't deny or ignore what is wrong just because someone in authority directs me to do so. So this is for you. You're working in an institution, maybe a government institution, and the whole law of the land is this way. We just, we've just decided as Canadians that we won't call that wrong anymore. And so we're directing all our employees to say the same thing. You're going to say, I can't do that. Submission, I'm not required to do that. I can't just say it's not sin because you say it's not sin. That's not the ju jurisdiction of the Canadian government or the U.S. government or anybody. That's God's role. So we can't do that. And submission does not ever enslave me in obedience to, to an abusive authority or situation. Because if Jesus' claim on my life, no spouse, no government, no parent, no teacher, no judge, no cop or doctor or counselor can claim such an authority over me. This is so important because when we get our, our backup, we're so afraid that in submission, we might end up taking that doormat role before someone that wants to come beat on us like they're with this, working with a sledgehammer. And, and this is not what God wants for you. So if you're thinking that at all, that somehow our pastors are telling you in submission that we want you to go home and, 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 and submit like a doormat to someone so they can act evilly over top, you know, in the rule of authority, we're not saying that. That's not what scripture's backing up. That, that's not the preaching here this morning. What I am saying is that in stark contrast to what we see typified around us, which is essentially wasted freedom, Peter calls us to demonstrate a perpetual bond of service with the living God. This is what is meant by the phrase living as servants. Bond servants is the con concept there, but what it really means is that as an act of will, the servant decides to give up his life for his master because the master has opened up all he has to the servant in a loving way. God's love for us as disciples has gone far beyond what he asks for us, asks us to do. His love for us goes far beyond what he asks from us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Right? So when we consider that, when we realize all that he's given us, we, we respond to him and we say, I choose to give you my life in surrender for the rest of my life, and I'm not going to serve anyone unless you want me to do that. So everywhere we go, like those disciples, we want to remain joyfully dedicated to him. So we choose to use our rights and privileges to help us carry out the Lord's work. That's what you should be doing between Sunday and Sunday. You have freedom to contribute to the life and health of a local church, to this local church, and we're so thankful for the, what you do. You have freedom to talk openly about your faith, and you have freedom to help others see why they should respond to the gospel. Submission is a strategy that helps us promote the gospel to the world. So in our freedom, when you choose to submit, when I choose to submit, I keep focused on my spiritual priority. 
Let's look at verse 17 as we get ready to close here. It comes up with this kind of motto, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If I had like a nice old English broadsword, I'd want to have that like put on the sword. And I'd want it to work with a little button that reads out in like a English butler Siri kind of voice. It just sounds like serious things, honor the emperor, right? Um, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's like a motto. It's, it's something that you could live by. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And you might think because it says honor twice that the focus is on honoring people. But the way Peter has written it, he's actually escalating when he says, you know, I want you to, um, you know, respect people. I want you to love the church. But really, I want you to understand you need to fear God. And if you fear God, you will honor the emperor. That's hard to do. But that's the heart position that we, we need to have that makes it possible for us to honor leaders that we don't agree with, who don't necessarily lead us to do what God would want us to do. The spiritual priority we have isn't that we would practice polite politics. The priority is that we worship God. And because of that, we love other believers. And because we love other believers and we love the church that God is creating, we work to see the church established in the community. And we do that regardless of the political climate we live in. So as we think about this, some of us are going to be afraid to apply this in our lives. It's not going to be easy. And, and the reason that we are hesitant is because submission, based on our previous experiences, has caused us to doubt that anything good would happen as a result of what we give up in our rights. To that, I would just like to show you this image. It's of Martin Luther King. He's shaking hands with uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson. And I just want you to think of Martin Luther King as one of our Christian brothers. And here's a man who, under principles of, the, of what he read in Scripture, had to work at a time where he did not agree with what the government would said was right. And so he had to take a stand along with many people. And I would like to suggest to you that he, he took a, a stance of submission he respected the idea that there was a president. They had a relationship. I found many pictures that seemed to show that. In each one of these pictures, I want you to notice, there's no hostility towards, from the Christian towards the government. That's not what's expressed there. There's disagreement. But there was also submission. And God used that to, um, that honor that Martin Luther King showed to help bring about a change in the country and it granted equal rights to all the citizens. So that's an image from our times that we can all grasp and hopefully that can encourage as you see that. It's like, okay, this is what he means. This is the kind of thing that can happen as the, as the church works with, cooperates, submits to the idea that there's a government and it's for our good. God ultimately brought that about. But if that's not enough for you, and it, it, it doesn't have to be enough for you, but there is something that we have in our scriptures that is enough for me. When I think about my salvation, I realize it came because Jesus submitted to the Roman authorities. He submitted in a culture where the, the main guy didn't care about our Heavenly Father at all. And that's changed my life. That's changed your lives. It's changing our lives today. And that's what we represent. And, and that's why we can be called into submission. So I want to remind you, passing that thought through that little window in your wall, 
Submission is more spiritually effective than you think it is. It has more influential potential than you give it credit for. God has put power in submission. I know you're thinking about that. Let me just pray as you do. Father, um, just in the quietness of this moment, there might be a lot of thoughts floating around in our heads. Um, submission, while it's a concept, we know of times when, when someone has challenged us and we've humbled ourselves and, and we've taken that, that um, subservient role in, a, in an area and it has not gone the way we wish it would. It did not seem like you were glorified. All that seemed is that we were cast down or, or, or trodden upon. And, and Lord, I just pray that in this moment we would see that maybe when we looked at how we felt, we were looking at the wrong thing. I pray that as we've seen this, we would see submission through Peter's eyes and understand strategically that, Lord, either in that moment you were doing something to bring glory to yourself just by showing that we were under your control or you were doing something even greater to bring glory to yourself by showing righteousness in our behavior that you will use to convince that authority that your way has always been better than their way. Father, we pray you'd help us with critics in our lives. We pray that you'd give us the courage to do what we need to do. And we pray that we trust you to do what you said you'd do, that you would, you would cause them to be quiet when all is brought to light. Help us to do that, we ask in Jesus' name. We want to bring you that honor. Amen.